You're listening to the Oil and Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 124. What's up, guys? Uh, well, our hurricane is uh, is past us, and now we're doing the rebuild and restoration. Unfortunately, our brothers and sisters in Florida are getting hammered right now. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. I've seen a lot of the footage, and it's just it's hard to believe how fast large objects can fly. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of it too. And so, you know, for for everybody out there that's listened to us in that part of the country, y'all stay safe. Don't do anything stupid. We just went through this ourselves. Um, you know, so hopefully a lot of people evacuate. And if you didn't and you sheltered in place, just hunker down until the storm gets over. You know, watch out for things like high water power lines, all that sort of stuff. Or maybe even alligators. We, we had those here too. I think I, think I, saw I heard 6. this is the largest. Million. Sorry, Who go ahead, that? Jake. Patrick, are you on the show too today? Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, Patrick snuck on the show. Yeah, first Friday q and I, I can't miss it. So what were you saying, Patrick? Uh, I think this is the, I heard it's the largest evacuation the U.S. has ever done. So the, uh, the amount of people that they're evacuating out of Florida or did evacuate is like on record for the largest amount of uh, people evacuated for a storm. I think it was like 6.5 million. Was yeah, I think I that's what I heard. Wow. Wow. That's almost impossible to believe. Well, we'll pay attention to that and we'll report on it the next show. Um, speaking of hurricanes and restorations, uh, if you haven't heard, we're actually raising money for our hurricane restoration here in Houston. So if you can, just uh, go to GoFundMe.com forward slash Harvey dash restoration. If you can contribute 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, it's all going directly to the people in need um, who are trying to rebuild their lives. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and then speaking of evacuating, um, not sure if that's a great tie into our on-the-road sponsors, but um, we have Total Land, the world's most field, advanced field land management system. They're literally the landman's virtual office, and Lee Heck Harrison, global experts in talent management. If you have an interest in either of our, our, our on-the-road sponsors, they're great companies. They, they're the people that allow us to travel to all the events out there. Go check them out. We'll actually put links in the show notes as well. And then if you'd like uh, Jake or I or Patrick or, or Jake and Patrick or Paige and Patrick, or it's getting confusing now, uh, come to your trade association, your company event, your conference, your schools, your sales and marketing meetings, whatever. Reach out to us and we share the details. Jake, you and I had somebody reach out to us from Ohio wanting us to come speak at their school, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. We'll actually read their, I think it was a question today for the uh, yeah. First Friday Q&A. Yeah, and that's the show you're listening to, First Friday Q&A. So, Jake, you want to hit the first question? Let's do it. All right, so first up, we have a question from Paige Rothrock, who is a project manager at Mitchell's Corporation. Uh, They write, I've been listening to your podcast for a little over a year now, and I always hear you discuss how important digital marketing is. I work for a division of a primarily midstream company that doesn't do that very well, whether it be due to customer privacy restrictions or to prevent protesters. Is there anything I can do to personally market the niche market, my division, without getting the company in any kind of trouble with the clients? We are a new division for the company that has only been around about three years. We perform groundwater dewatering and large creek pump arounds. Uh, Patrick, you want to jump in to answer that one? Yeah, I, I have I, some comments on it as well. Yeah, I can take this one. And it, it's a little difficult if your company isn't behind you as far as digital marketing goes. But there's a lot I think Paige can do on her own to really set herself up as the, the industry expert with her division. Um, the big big thing is just being inbound marketing, doing the doing the article writing, providing value to the market. And you can do that with LinkedIn. Although it'd be better if your company wanted to put this that kind of information on their own website so you own the platform because LinkedIn can change their T's and C's anytime they want. 
but uh, any individual can go on there and start writing articles and providing value to the market. And you can promote yourself, you can promote your company, or just promote the category. If it's a if it's a new division that you have, or it's a new category out there, there's a, probably a lot of questions around what it is, what you do, and what the benefits are. So providing value to the market is going to set you up as the subject matter expert in your category. And then when somebody's looking for your services, they're going to reach out to you, they're going to reach out to your company because of you. So there's a lot you can do on there on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, anything like that, whatever your platform of choice is, or your customer's platform of choice, even better. And just set yourself up as the expert. So when they're ready to buy, they come to you first. Yeah. And Paige, my two cents on this is I would, if I don't know if your company has a marketing department, uh, if they do, I would go talk to people over there. If they don't, I would actually go talk to the sales department and sit down and, and let them know that. So things like protesters, the only reason protesters are able to get together and protest is because they're using digital marketing. They're using social media to organize, to spread misinformation. All you have to do is spread the truth, right? You don't have to talk about politics or opinion. Spread the truth. Talk about how Pipeline, because you said you're, you're primarily a midstream company. Talk about how Pipeline is the safest, um, most environmentally friendly way to move things around the U.S. A lot of people don't understand that. Find some good statistics out there. And once again, this isn't you promoting your company or promoting what y'all do. This is you just getting the facts out there. If you help get the facts out there, and I, we've seen this happen in the frack fields, especially in Colorado and Texas, where the protesters get together, they use social media, they cause a lot of ruckus, a lot of people uh, get misinformed, and they get involved emotionally, and they go, oh, no, this is bad. And in our industry, our oil and gas industry, has taken a long time to figure out how to do this, but we're starting to figure it out. So all we do is all you do is come back and tell the truth. Like, no, this is great. This is great for the prosperity of the people. It's great for jobs. It's great for schools because of the taxes that are paid. It's more environmentally responsible than any other way to move things around. And then, you know, Patrick talked about using different platforms out there. The platforms are great. Um, you'd be better off if you did this on your own platform, if you start your own blog, which is relatively easy to do in today's world. Um, but the biggest thing is the content. You know, you have a smartphone. Shoot pictures of what you're doing. You know, explain what this is. Explain what a pig is, what pressure testing is. You know, the the people that get worried as far as the protesting, they're worried because they're misinformed because they don't know the truth. I've had this happen to me a whole bunch of times in, in the last 20 years I've been in this industry. When we find people that have um, something they don't like about our industry, when you take the time to educate them and explain to them, once again, using facts, then all of a sudden they're not scared because they know what's going on. And instead of being anti what you're doing, they a lot of times they come over and they want to support you. Um, the other thing is is your company, if your company doesn't want to get involved in doing this, I, I, I see that a lot. But honestly, uh, Paige, they need to understand the benefits of this because they don't. Somewhere very, very soon, one of your competitors who do understand how to do this and the value is going to pass you up. So hopefully, Paige, it helped you out. Jake, you got anything to say about that? I think you guys covered pretty much everything there is to say about that. Yeah, I did, I did want to add one more thing because, Mark, you're right. If, she, if she's going to her marketing or sales team to talk about digital marketing and what they can be doing um, with my own business, a lot of pushback I get is we don't want to – you know, we don't want to give away the secret sauce. We don't want to tell our competitors what we're doing. And to be honest, that's not what digital marketing is. Providing value to the market isn't going to give away your competitive advantage. If anything, it's going to set you up as the expert in the industry and give you a competitive advantage over the people that aren't doing it. So I, I anticipate if your company isn't on board with digital marketing, that may be one of their concerns. But talking talking it through and seeing what can be done online that that shouldn't be a an issue that you just it just takes a little bit of education if that's a uh, a point of contention. 
Yeah, and Paige, if you're talking to your sales team, your sales leadership about this, because Patrick's exactly right, this is what's happened to us. When you're seen as the subject matter expert, you're not seen as a vendor. So your sales team, not only do they have it much easier, they charge, they can charge more for it. We, we, we see this all the time because now you're the expert. You're not a vendor. Yeah, you're the trusted um, advisor. Like Mark said, you're not a salesperson. Yeah, and, and Paige, uh, since Patrick brought it up, if y'all need help with this or talking through it, reach out to Patrick. This is what he does for companies that work in oil and gas, and he's very good at it. Um, all right, Jake, next question. All right, up next we have a question from Travis. He's a senior petroleum engineering student from University of Wyoming. He writes, hi, guys, going into my final year uh, and as a prior Marine, uh, where's that vet focused podcast? Any info for veterans would be great. And thanks again for the uh, thanks again, guys. and love the podcast. Semper Fi, devil dog. Um, we're working on that. Um, I'll, 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 if you and the other 370,000 people that listen to us each week can keep this a secret, <laughs> um, we are in negotiations right now with two of the major firearm manufacturers here in the U.S., or actually one of them's global, one's here in the U.S., about sponsoring the podcast. So, Travis, the, the way we do it in order to make sure we have a quality show is we never start a podcast and then find a sponsor. We do it the opposite way. We come up with an idea for a podcast, in this case, the Veterans Podcast, and then we figure out who would benefit the most from having access to that audience. Um, and as everybody knows, veterans like firearms, and so do people working oil and gas. So we reached out to the firearm manufacturers, and we're really close to closing a deal. Once we close that deal, um, I already have one of the hosts for that show, um, who's also a vet, is actually Green Beret. Um, big shout out there to JP. Um, and we'll stand the show up. So just give us a little bit of time, Travis. The the timetable around this, uh, quite frankly, is probably the very end of this year, uh, just because the two companies I'm talking to are so big that they move really slow. But we haven't forgot about this. We have um, we have two more podcasts that should come out this year, and we have seven more in the works. Um, and the veterans is 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 very high on the list. I mean, it's it's close to a lot of our hearts. It's close to my heart. It's close to Jake Hart. We won't forget about this. Now, I will tell you this much, Travis. I suspect that when this show launches, it will be Oil & Gas Global Network's first explicitly rated podcast in iTunes. But that's just what it is. But thanks for reaching out, Travis. All right, next question is from Rohel Ula. He's a student at LSU. He writes, hey, guys, first of all, great podcast. Heard about it from a friend, and this was the second, able, second episode I was able to listen to. Uh, definitely been able to learn a lot as a senior and undergrad from just an hour of y'all. Uh, I heard you guys mention Drilling Info was holding a luncheon in which we could attend to listen to their takeaways about the industry. I was wondering how I could register for that. Thanks for the help, fellas, and a lot of respect for y'all for bringing uh, this industry closer together. Yeah. Hey, he's from LSU, which is on our speaking circuit, Jake. Um, so, Rohal, I hate to tell you this, and I answered your email before we spoke this question here, so you've already heard this, but you missed it. <laughs> uh, it, it was a great luncheon, um, but unfortunately you missed it. Um at the end of the show, you'll hear us talk about uh, the oil and gas events newsletter, which my company puts out. You need to sign up for that. Um, and this way, you know about stuff ahead of time. But, um, you know, if you're a petroleum engineering student, you really do need to check out Drilling Info. They, they have this huge master database of properties out there and of acreage out there and of operators out there. In fact, we use them for, for the rig count on the show. Good company. Um, doing some really good stuff out there. Um, and so it's, it's just a great source of information. Now, if you would like to learn, if you and your students, that your fellow LSU students would like to learn more about what Drilling Info is doing and you can't make the luncheon, reach out to me directly. I happen to know the president over there and maybe I can make a connection and, and maybe y'all can do something together. But Jake, what do you think about this? Uh, I think there's a lot of other good events out there that you can also, I, I mean, I think Julie info would probably put on a pretty good luncheon, but I think there's a lot of other ones that you can go to down in the show notes. 
uh, that we post. And also the, all the events that you send out in the newsletter, the Moto Point newsletter. Uh, there's a lot of really, really great events um, that I'm, I'm sure we have some over in Louisiana, don't we? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot in Louisiana. We have Lago coming up this month um, in Lafayette. Well, no, not this month, this year. I think it's in October. Um, that's a great event for, for any, all the petroleum engineers students to go to. And um, they don't charge for entry. So, yeah. Um, yeah, if you and your fellow LSU students would like to go to Lago, it's in Lafayette, Louisiana. I think it's in October. Check it out. Um, and if you go, hit us up on Twitter or something because we'll, all the podcast uh, uh, gang will be there. I've said this a million times in, in different contexts, but you know, as a student, I think it's extremely important uh, to go to as many industry events as possible, especially the industry you're going to be working in, um, especially when it comes to actually getting a job, because it still is, even though the industry is changing, it still is you know, a lot about who you know. Um, so I think it would benefit everyone to go to as many events as possible. And it's a great way to learn, too. It's one thing to go online and look at something like a pig or a tree um, or, you know, um, drill bits, whatever, but it's different when you actually can touch it. And the guy that operates that stuff for engineers is sitting there to answer your questions. It's just a great way to learn. It's a, we actually have time in our calendars every month to do nothing but go to events and learn. It's one of the best ways to pick up good, useful, viable, real world information. Yeah, and I would say oh, joining makes... the, joining the industry, uh, organizations, the API, the SPE and IDC, those, those organizations have monthly luncheons. So there's always something to go to and learn. Uh, I know Lafayette's got an IDC chapter, and I'm not sure where the SPE and the API's chapters are in Louisiana, but check out their websites and their list of events. Uh, like I said, they have monthly luncheons, and they get industry experts that'll have some topic they'll they'll be discussing every month. Yeah, the API um, chapter in Louisiana is in uh, New Orleans. It's called the Delta chapter. And once again, at Rojal, if you need connections there, I know the um, chairman over there will be happy to make that connection for you. All right, up next, we have an anonymous question. Uh, he's an engineer. Wait, Jake, I got I to gotta stop you. So don't say this email address. But I do think it's funny. He typed his name as anonymous, but he put his real name, his email address, which has his first and last name in there. So people, if you want to be anonymous, when you go to put your email, just put xxx at gmail.com or something like that. Don't actually put your real email address. <laughs> All right, so he's an engineer at a service company. Uh, he writes, I'm currently working in North Dakota, but I'm looking at an opportunity to do some oil service work in Bakersfield, California. I love California and have friends that live in the area, but I'm a little worried about the future of oil and gas in California. Uh, what are your thoughts and opinions about California's current and long-term situation with the oil and gas industry? Also, if I stay in North Dakota, there's a good chance that I'll have opportunity to work internationally. Any thoughts on sticking with North, North Dakota versus going international for a while? Thanks, and I love the show. Yeah, so that's really two questions. Let me chime in first about California. So California, from a political point of view, is pretty much anti-oil and gas. Now, long before there was Silicon Valley or the medical marijuana industry or sushi burritos, oil and gas industry was king in California. Even today, California is the third biggest oil producing state behind Texas and North Dakota. Um, you know, California is always talking about fighting climate change, which they, what they don't realize is the fact that they're spending all this money trying to uh, fight climate change. They're actually, there's legislation on board to get rid of all internal combustion engines by I think 2025. They keep layering layers of taxation on oil and gas companies on production. Um, they're really worried about cutting greenhouse ga gases and all that's good, right? If you live in that state and that's important to you, that's, that's uh, the beauty of our, of our way our government's set up. It's your right. It's, it's, it's the state's right to do that sort of stuff. But all that type of stuff has come at a price. California's business environment is one of the worst in the U.S. California is losing major companies, which are major employers, by the hundreds every year. And they're moving to places like here in Texas. Um, 
the water shortage that happened in California, all the underground reservoirs, those things are all depleted uh, because of the agriculture that's going on. And one of the things that most people don't know is fracking was invented to increase water production, right? It wasn't invented by the oil and gas industry. It was, in produce, it was invented by the water well industry because you can go into an existing water well that's not producing enough water. You can frack it, and all of a sudden you get more water out. Well, guess what? Because of the way the laws have been written in California, they can't come in and frack the water wells to produce more water, and so now there's water shortages everywhere. So it's you know the, the future of oil and gas in California from a political point of view is, is kind of uh, dreary. It doesn't look really good. It's not very promote it. The fact is 100% of everything that's transported in California is transported on fuels made from the oil and gas industry. 80% of everything Californians use to live a modern lifestyle comes from the oil and gas industry, is made from hydrocarbons, plastics, adhesives, paints. The fuels, no matter what anybody says that California is going to use to run most of its infrastructure, is going to come from the oil and gas industry. The houses are going to be built with uh, you know, on land cleared by running diesel and bulldozers. So Californians, no matter what they say politically, will continue to support the oil and gas industry with their pocketbook. Now, from a political point of view, as far as the oil and gas industry being able to operate there in a business-friendly environment, it doesn't look that way. Um, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see where things go about that because what's happening is all of these anti-oil and gas sediments, which are then causing people to vote for anti-oil and gas legislation, is raising the cost of fuel in California. California is the highest fuel cost in the U.S., which then means things like eggs cost more there than anywhere because you got to move them around. And I'm just curious how much longer the residents in California are going to keep paying more and more for stuff every year while the rest of us aren't paying more and more. In fact, some cases we're paying less for stuff. But yeah, it's um, very, very much the most of California, especially the middle of California and south, very anti-oil and gas. There are some holdouts in northern California that are so upset with the way things are going and politically they're trying to succeed from the rest of the state, which I just find funny. Um, but yeah, that's where that part's going. And then I want to answer this international thing, but I want Jake and Patrick. Actually, let me stop there. Jake and Patrick, you want to talk about the political environment, the anti-oil and gas environment in California? Patrick, you want to start? Well, um, I'd actually rather talk about something more practical to the uh, to the question that he's asking. That so, if he wants to move from North Dakota, I'm assuming he's living in North Dakota and working in oil and gas, and wants to move to California. Um, he's looking at a 10 percent increase on his income tax rate just by moving to California. Not to mention the cost of living. So that's a, a definite concern when you're considering moving from one state to another. Um, in the same industry for roughly the same pay. Um, like I said, I think North Dakota is around 3% state income tax and California is around 13. So that's another 10% off his paycheck that he's going to be looking at. I've Plus had you friends have to look at the cost if, of living with, you know, the home, home cost. Yeah. You're, yeah. You know, my, that's, an, that's another thing. My wife's from California well. and it's, it's absolutely insane. The same house that we have here in California would cost three times as much, you know? So it's, there's a lot to factor in. I, so I've run the numbers a lot because I think eventually my wife's going to force me to move back to California. So looking at those, running the numbers on, on living cost and all that stuff, it really makes no financial sense to ever move to California. It has to be like an emotional decision, like I'm going to go live next to family or I just really love the beach and I love the perfect weather year round. But um, yeah, I would I would probably say if I, if I was in this guy's shoes, I would probably go the international route. Depending on, depending on where it's going to be at. I mean, if he has the opportunity to go to like someplace like Singapore, that would be awesome. Um, I wouldn't necessarily want to go probably anywhere in the Middle East. Um, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, so if we could jump to the, to the international. So first thing, yes, 
if you get a chance to get outside of the U.S. and learn the oil and gas industry and the rest of the world, that is an unbelievable, valuable learning experience. You're crazy not to do that. Um, even sticking in North America, if you can get a different uh, experience, because you know, you know, being a roughneck in, on the land in North Dakota is radically different than being a roughneck out in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, you know, all those different job experiences are, 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 are going to help you in your career. And quite honestly, you know, having different uh, exposure to different cultures, different ways of doing things only enhances you as a person, right? You, you understand your place in the world better. You appreciate things better. So I'm all over you going, uh, going international for a while. It's, it's a learning experience. Patrick, you have a pretty good a bit of experience uh, working internationally in oil and gas. Yeah. And I've, I've worked internationally. Um, both when I started my career was, it was offshore. So I'd, you know, fly over to Turkey or in Angola and spend a month offshore. Um, but I also was stationed over in Australia for a year and, you don't realize how valuable the 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 overseas experience is until you come back to the states. Because when you're looking for another job, to be able to say you have international experience puts you head and shoulders above somebody that only worked in the state, city, or country that you're trying to work in. So, just having that uh, experience is going to be helpful. And if you can get an if you can get an overseas assignment now now. It, you you want to take it because those expat assignments are going away. With oil prices being what they are now, companies are trying to cut costs, so they're not offering as many expat packages. Some countries they have to because they can't find the in-country expertise. Um, but as far as I know, I've seen a lot of companies just reduce the number of expats, I mean, down to you know, 10%, 20% of what they used to have. So if you can get an overseas assignment now, it's going to be that much more valuable in a year or two, five years later. Yeah, so hopefully anonymous that that was useful to you. Not to mention the tax benefits of working overseas. Yeah, yeah explain that, Patrick. Explain what happens when you're gone for was it a year? You have to be out of the country for uh, more than half a year, which I think is you know it's right at 182 or three days out of the country, um, and you get special tax incentives. Now a lot of other countries you're going to be going to tax more than the U.S., but a lot of times the companies they'll pay your tax bill. Then you'll get a tax credit in the U.S. I'm not here to provide any kind of financial advice, but from from personal experience, you know you have to know what you're doing. So before you go, don't just rely on your company to explain everything. Seek out a tax and uh, HR you know, revenue uh, professional that you can get at your own third party opinion. Because like I said, the, the rules are you have to be out for so many days of a year and before you come back. And uh, just if you're going to work overseas. Go talk to an accountant that specializes in overseas revenue, uh, and they're going to help you out. You know, again, don't trust your company to give you all the information. You want to get a, a third party that's on your side. Yeah, not that your company would mislead you, but Patrick and I have both seen companies bring people outside the U.S. and they made a mistake, right? Their HR department made a mistake, and in in, in 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 both cases that the Patrick and I know about, the company made it right, but that doesn't mean it will that will always happen again. So yeah, get that third party to check on yeah, your sure it's it's scary if you go overseas and somehow you didn't get put on whatever your retirement package is or your health benefits didn't carry over for some reason. Again, we Mark and I have seen that happen and the company's made it right, but it's it's a scary situation if you have anything come up and you're for some reason not covered. Awesome answers. So hopefully that helps anonymous. All right, up next, uh, we have a question from Kevin Nelson. He writes, uh, first off, I would like to say thank you for all the awesome content you present on the podcast as I'm an avid listener and very much appreciate what you guys do. 
So thanks. Uh, I am a corrosion engineering student at the University of Akron and have heard you mention that you speak at universities. I'm the founder and chair of UA's Chapter of Material Advantage, which holds our meetings with our NACE student section and corrosion squad. And I'm very interested in having you as guest speakers. Please let me know what information you don't mind to go for with us. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. So I actually reached out to him and I'm waiting to hear back. Um, really, if you want Jake and I or Patrick and I or Paige or all of us or, or just one of us, whatever, to come speak, just reach out to us. We've, we've done this enough that we've kind of gotten this figured out how to do it right. We cut uh, universities and student organizations a 50% discount. Um, so basically, you, you pay our travel plus half what we normally charge to come speak, which is not much money. If your, your organization has trouble with that, we help you find a sponsor. Um, and, and we've had pretty good success with that. So really, it's, it's, it's not a lot of effort to get us to come out and speak. The hardest thing is to get it in our calendar. Uh, we had a couple of uh, speaking engagements um, at the beginning of the year we couldn't make because they used to get it in our calendar in time. So yeah, if you want us to come speak, let us know. We love students. We love student organizations. Um, we uh, bring a lot of value. We've, um, you know, catch a lot of praise from doing this sort of stuff. And uh, we, we just love to come out and talk to your school or your, your student organization. It's fun too, right? It's a blast. It really is a blast. All right. So up next, we have a question from Cindy Mayers. Uh, She's in business development at Schlumberger. Uh, First thing is, I love to show you guys never miss an episode. I'm in a sales role and report to a senior account manager. Uh, He has been doing this type of work for over 20 years, so I really respect his experience and very large network with major oil companies. Uh, But he and his peers seem to spend a lot of time and money on exhibiting at conferences and trade shows, taking clients out to eat and drink, playing golf, and attending trade organization cocktail events and lunches. Sorry, Mark, I know you're on the board of API. (laughs) Uh, My question is, is this really an effective approach for salespeople to follow, Uh, which means I just have to keep doing this until I get better at it. And one last thing, my friends want to know if you and Jake have girlfriends, wives, significant others, keep up the awesome work. Let's answer the last one first. Cause I'm <laughs> curious why she said girlfriends, wives or significant others is, do we come across as, as not very masculine? I don't think so. Don't no way. Huh? Hmm. Anyway, I'm definitely uh, married. You're definitely yeah, married. Me too. Me too. Patrick's married. Yeah. Uh, all of the above. <laughs> All the above. All the above. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, Patrick, we don't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, let me let me take a little stab at this, and I'll let y'all two chime in. So, this type of personal type of selling, where where you have a personal relationship with your clients, and you nurture and support that with things like going to play golf and going out to eat and drink and all that stuff. That's how it was when I started in this industry. This industry, even though it's large and global, is was and still is an industry of people doing business with people. Um, and when I got started 20 years ago, and I also, uh, Cindy, got started in sales, um, that was a lot of what an account manager did, especially a good account manager. You nurtured those relationships. You stayed in touch with those people. Um, and then when they had work for you or they needed to buy your product or service, unfortunately, they looked at you more favorably than others, and a lot of times you sold your stuff. Um, that type of relationship, the oil and gas companies figured out over time was not the best for them. Um, back then you actually really had something called a decision maker. So a lot of times in my case, I sold communication services. There was one person in actually, I know, I know who it was in Slumberjay. I could even tell you his name back then. There was one person in Slumberjay who's responsible for all the communication services Slumberjay bought in the Gulf coast region. And I spent a lot of time wine and dining that one person and they bought from us. Now we delivered good products and good services, 
But eventually, the big companies figured out that was not the best way for them to buy stuff. So they started forming decision-making teams. So you didn't have that one person, that one decision-maker. And then procurement and supply chain figured out ways to implement test so rules and regulations way that you bid rfps rfis to help level the playing field and you fast forward to now and here in europe here and in europe a lot of this type of old relationship type of selling quite honestly is a waste of your company's time and money and what we've seen a lot of is the senior people senior salespeople that grew up doing this that's all they know how to do. So they keep doing it. And what happens is they still make a sale or two. So it reinforces in their mind, hey, I sold something. So this this method must still work. The truth is, if they'd get away from this and start actually becoming a problem solver and learning how to articulate the way they solve problems to that entire decision-making team, they'd actually sell a lot more. And the money that they're spending on taking people out to play golf and taking people out for expensive dinners and everything, if that money was spent on better marketing your services, like literally figuring out who buys your stuff and why, and then figure out how to get a good message in front of those people from a marketing point of view, that would actually drive sales results way better. We run into this a lot with our clients. So so my consulting company, Modal Point, our clients are people that are wanting to sell their stuff to oil and gas. And traditionally, this is how their salespeople worked. And what's happened over the last, say, five to seven years, and it's been accelerated by this low crew price environment this last three years, is that they still try to sell like this, but they're not driving results anymore. So the company knows something's wrong, but they don't know how to fix it. And a lot of times they'll bring us in. Um, um, so that's really what I have to say about that. Patrick, I bet you got a lot to say about this too from a marketing point of view and from a sales point of view. Yeah, you know, for, for my my past career was, I, I've been in sales, marketing, contracts, and with the offshore drilling contractor side of things, that's that's historically how the way business is done. It's a lot of golf, a lot of sporting clays, a lot of events, a lot of uh, whining and dining. I'm, 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 with, I'm with Mark on this. Number one, that... That method is dying off because yeah, you need you know they have to have three bids and somebody's gonna gonna vet the process. So they're not just picking and choosing whoever they want and like the most anymore. Um, another note is companies, especially the larger ones, are cracking down on this and they'll put a cap on how much anybody on their team can accept. Whether you know twenty five dollars or fifty dollars. So in some countries, you can't even take somebody out to lunch for twenty five dollars. So again, the, the larger companies are cracking down. Um, I would say one thing in favor of it is that I don't think it's going to get you work going forward. What the personal relationships that you still have to maintain, uh, you don't need to go over the top whining and dining and taking on ski trips, but what it will get you is a little bit of inside information. You're just having a conversation. You talk about projects. If you can get that person to open up and you know hint that they're going to be doing something, having that information in fr- ahead of your competition can at least let you get your ducks in a row. You can start building a package for what you would possibly provide. Again, you're not going to have all the information because it, it's not public, but it, it could give you a, a couple weeks head start. That's the one thing I'll say that the old school whining and dining relationship building does in the oil field. It, it's all it's going to do is get you a little bit of information, maybe ahead of your competition, maybe at the same time, but it's definitely not the way to do business. I, and Going back to the digital marketing, there's a lot you can do as far as providing value to the market that is more valuable than taking somebody out to dinner. If you can solve somebody's problem before they're ready to buy from you, that's going to go a lot further than, well, this guy took me out to three dinners last month, so I'm going to give him a call. No, Mark or Jake 
solved one of my problems I was having without me even asking. They had articles or videos or whatever else about it. So I, I would go that route. Um, it's also a great way to, to have a cold open. You can just send them some information that solves their problem and you're automatically their friend because you've helped them out. Yeah, Jake, you're, you have as much sales experience as I have practically. So you got some two cents on this? Yeah, I think it really, it goes, it kind of boils down to just knowing who the buyer is. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a good salesperson, you have to have that sales engineer who's, who's usually you, you might have somebody who's prospecting, maybe you're doing your own prospecting, but just knowing who that person is, and if it's a younger person, then you'd be completely wasting your time with any of this, um, you know, taking clients out to eat and playing golf and stuff like that. But, you know, if it is an older guy, um, you know, there are still guys who want to be wine and dined and that's how they make their decisions. Um, I know that's kind of like goes against conventional wisdom that we've said in the past, but um, something that I learned recently, uh, a good buddy of mine who runs a startup is actually for the first time ever is having to hire a guy with this skill set because they're trying to get into more service companies. Um, and that was like very shocking to me um, that he you know, felt the need to actually bring somebody on, on board uh, with this skill set. So I think it, it kind of boils down to knowing who your buyers are, the individual buyers, not the companies, the actual pe- people themselves uh, and the way that they make buying decisions. Um, I think it never hurts to be well-versed in both. Um, but I would, I'm, I would say that this is definitely like this way of selling is definitely dying off. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily fully gone today. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's disappearing. Um, but yeah, it's not gone yet. And especially now I talked about here and in Europe, Cindy, if, if you get into central and South America or the middle East, this is absolutely how you get your stuff sold. Um, and she didn't mention in here. Yeah. She didn't say where and slumber is a global, global company. Yeah, in the Middle East, it is absolutely who you know. I mean, absolutely. Uh, in Central and South America, it's who you know, and it's how much you grease the social wheel. So it's it's knowing the right people, and it's also are you buying drinks? Are you buying dinner? Um, you know, some places uh, you, you go to Mexico, and you want to do business with Pemex, and you may have to go to dinner three or four nights in a row before you can even talk business. Um, so, you know, just, we have one yeah, good point, Jake, it, know your buyer. Cause it's, it's different in different parts of the world. If you go to Norway, this is so frowned upon that they won't even talk to you again. If you try to do this, you try to take them out to dinner. Um, so, you know, totally different business culture in Norway than it is in Mexico, but it's all still in oil and gas. So good point, Jake, knowing your buyers is fundamentals in, in figuring this thing out. Well, Jake, I mean, uh, Mark, you, you brought up a good point about the parts of the world that you do business. And in some areas there is a greasing of the wheels expectation that you, you know, provide gifts for kids and the wives and, and things like that. But the, the UK Bribery Act, which touches, I would say, 99.9% of the businesses that do, uh, companies that do business around the world, you can't do anything like that. If you, if you try and, you know, air quotes, grease the wheels, which is just dinners or here's an iPod for your kids for Christmas or anything like that, that, <clears throat> that is against the UK Bribery Act, which is, it's a lot more strict than the, uh, um, bribery act we have here in the U.S., which I'm drawing a blank on the name, but um, so keep that in mind. If yeah. if you're doing business, don't you know a dinner, a lunch may be fine, but don't cross the line and and get into the realm of you know like for like favors. Yeah, that's a good point, Patrick. Because when I got started in this industry, and somebody had signed a big contract, it was not uncommon, especially if he was outside the U.S. That that guy that signed the contract, him and his entire family had an all expense paid vacation somewhere right the next week. 
in today's world, especially if you work for an American or European company, you can actually get not only lose your job, you can actually go to jail for doing that sort of stuff. Well, so and you can not trying to scare you, Cindy. Yeah. Any anybody that does business with a company that does business in the UK, which, like I said, that really covers just about every business in the world. Yeah. So not trying to scare anybody out there, but you know, if, if you're wondering about this, check with your management on what's legit and what's not, and what what y'all are okay with from an ethics point of view, what you're not okay with. I think that about wraps up all the questions. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you guys have a question that you want answered uh, on next month's First Friday Q&A, just go to the show notes, uh, click on Ask a Question, type it in there. We'll be glad to answer that on next month's show. So moving on, Mark, do we have a uh, winner this week? Yes, we do. Our winner is Alan Berlin, Fieldwood Energy. He's a geologist. So congratulations, Alan. You have won this awesome Red Wing Offshore Bag. If you would like to win your own awesome Red Wing Offshore Bag, just like Alan just did, it's really simple. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in. We draw one lucky winner a week. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. So the rig count for this week has changed 0%. We have okay, 1,029 rigs still. Okay, we're, we're not going backwards, which we're is good. We're not going backwards, yeah. So we can't expect it to go up every single week. So that's not bad. Uh, any events on deck? Uh, so the, the uh, inter, um, Internet of Things and Oil and Gas is actually going on uh, Wednesday the 13th and Thursday the 14th and Friday the 15th, which is next week. And then... Uh, Two weeks after that, we have Oilcom, which is going to be October 4th and 5th, and we have a whole bunch more events going on. If you'd like to learn about your events, these events, plus more, plus free passes and insider information and stuff, it's really simple. Go sign up for my monthly oil and gas events uh, uh, newsletter. Uh, we put everything in your inbox once a week for free. We'll put a link in the show notes. It takes all of three seconds to sign up, and we never, ever spam anybody. We also have another event that I didn't put in the show notes uh, on Tuesday, October 17th in denver it's the denver energy tech showcase uh the reason i'm saying that is because i'm going to be there so uh it's a energy tech showcase there's going to be 40 uh emps there there's going to be a lot of like tech firms like wellhub uh and other startups uh it's a great way for operators to get exposure to new tech and for tech to get exposure to new operators so um they had a pilot event back in january that was just jam-packed with people and they were overwhelmed with the response so uh, Tuesday, October 17th in Denver. So if you're out there, come check it out. Yeah. And it's, a, we may actually go there to support Jake. So if you're in our audience and you're in that part of the woods or you're making, think about making a trip with it, go out there and go meet Jake in person, watch him pick uh, pitches startup. Um, reviews. Well, we're starting to give away these very highly collectible OGG and lapel pins. Uh, you can't get them anywhere else. The way you enter is you leave us a review and we put all the reviews in one bucket and we pull one lucky uh, winner a month and you get this unbelievably cool lapel pin that all your friends would be jealous of we have two other podcasts uh, patrick is from one of them uh, oil and gas hs and e podcast we also have oil and gas industry leaders go listen to those if you like this show we have some more like we talked about earlier more podcasts coming out um, if you like this can you do us a favor besides leaving us a review give us your email address right Anything that Jake and I do, the people that give us their email address can find out first. We never spam you. And if you want to find out second, you don't want me first, go join our LinkedIn group. It's oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. Um, great place. It's family for all the podcasts. Uh, like Jake said, if you want uh, uh, your question answered, uh, just go to um, oilandgasthisweek.com website. Click on Ask a Question. You submit your question. If we use it on the air, we'll give you a big shout out. Um, other than that, Patrick and Jake, do we have anything else we need to talk about? That's it for me. Yeah, that wraps it up. Folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. 
Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.